Um, you know, one thing I love about uh, watching different movies is um, kind of seeing the character development, you know, in uh, stories, whether it's a, a TV show or whether it's a movie itself. There's always uh, some level of character development. That might be if you're at a theater, you might be like, oh, I'm ready for a popcorn refill. And you might think I'm going to go do it before the movie really gets started. You know, right now they're just they're just developing characters, you know, but but as they lay out, as the, the writers and the screenwriters lay out the backstory of the characters, right, it helps you um, because that's when at the end, it helps you kind of predict the ending, if you will. You know, you see the, the uh, foreshadowing, and so you kind of think, you know, what's coming up. And my wife really loves it when I just holler out what's about to happen in the next 10 seconds, you know. Um, she's like, thank you, honey, that was really helpful. She likes it more when I was wrong that one time. It's the field trip where Peter Parker is at when he gets bitten by the spider and he has no idea that begins to tell you a little bit about when all of a sudden he's sticking to things and there's paper sticking to his hands. And well, knowing that he got bit by a spider, perhaps the title of the show helps some. But you get a little bit of backstory. You know, you get what I'm talking about there, right? In, in fact, it's part of why I love getting to know people. I love building relationships with people. I love getting to know people. And one of the things that I lo- love is learning how people tick. Uh, I, learned, I love understanding people's personalities, their, their personal family histories, their, their, um, their background, their life experiences. Uh, when I, and when I say love, it doesn't mean that they're all good, happy, happy, joy, joy kinds of experiences. What I mean is I, I really enjoy the beautiful work that God has given us as people learning to learn if I can say it that way, how to know people and how to understand people well as we seek to love people, right? And yet, as I get to know people and, and others, me and, and you guys one another, uh, it can be a challenge because, and, uh, and here's another spoiler alert, um, because I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything, right? I know that's a shocker to you. Um, it's probably more of a shocker to me at times, right? Because I think I've got things figured out at times, you know? And then I'm reminded, oh yeah, that's right, I don't. Uh, but by getting to know people over time, kind of thinking about these, we, we all are just born as kids and adults who try to put puzzles together and see how these pieces fit. You know, it's like the, the grand designer sets out all these pages, these uh, pieces on the table and says, one day this is going to look like a complete puzzle, right? But for now... Um, there are no border pieces. Like you don't even get to start with border pieces, right? There's not like a, in a, in a 2,500 or a 5,000 piece puzzle, you know, where you got like 2,000 of them that are like blue sky, you know? No, no, it's not that easy. And so as we have the privilege of getting to know people and see how God is working and how the pieces begin to fit, we, we learn to see that it is working. All things are working according to the counsel of God's will. So we know there's a designer. We know there's somebody who has designed and has communicated the backstory for every one of us. Uh, But I'll tell you, learning isn't always through success, right? Have you ever done something um, and what you did that was wrong, now it may or may not have been sinful. There are times we make mistakes. 
Well, we tend to just let ourselves off the hook and just call everything a mistake. Sometimes things are actually sinful. Uh, but there are times, you know, maybe it was a sin and you did something that was wrong relationally, or maybe it was a, a mistake. Um, and, but either way, uh, you learned from it. And if we apply that knowledge, the Bible would begin to call that wisdom. And you begin to say, oh, I learned something, though, about that person. Right? In, in my uh, 16, almost 17 years of marriage, uh, I haven't learned everything um, by smashing success every day. I learned things when I hurt my wife. I learned things when I respond in a way that reveals what's going on in my own heart. And I go, oh, okay. Well, that thing sets me off, but it's, it's, it's not because of her. I'm learning things about myself in that way. And as we're, we're reading this morning a, a bit of a lengthier passage, we'll be in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, if you want to start turning there or, or thumbing there. But if we'll pay attention to how we're learning, whether through success, uh, whether through failure or temporary setback, whatever you might want to call it, we're going to learn to see how the Holy Spirit will guide us through love and help us apply what we're learning as we grow into our union with Christ by God's Spirit through love. The Lord wants to help us grow into our union with Christ by God's Spirit through love. Let's look together at 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, I love that. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or visible among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also must also love his brother. By God's spirit and through love, you grow into your union with Christ. This passage is talking about the union that believers have with Christ made apparent by the working Holy Spirit through our lives. It's about like figuring out how to get into a superhero suit and trying to how to get it fit right. You know, maybe you've seen the Incredibles, right? You've got Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, and he goes to see Edna Mode. She's the fashionista for superheroes. And so she gets to figure out what's the right kind of suit to represent that superhero, right? And then once they get that sorted out, uh, she kind of retrofits it with all the right tech to be able to do what every superhero needs it to be able to do, right? God is the perfect designer of every single soul, and he has designed each one of us in this room and in the world with a similar purpose. Now, it's one of those statements that's true in an umbrella sense, but we have to Uh, expand it some more to really understand what we're getting at, right? So to be sure, our purpose can be stated by saying something simple like to glorify God. Why do you exist? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, as one of the catechisms says. Why do you exist? To glorify God and and enjoy him forever, or to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I'm going to expand it a little bit. Your purpose in life is to be full of joy, beholding God's glory as you are being made complete in Christ through love. Beholding, uh, full of joy, beholding God's glory as you're being made complete in Christ through love. And and this only happens uh, as a follower of Jesus. You're already in Christ and Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is in you. In other words, your identity is in Christ. Now, Sometimes in conversations with people, um, you can say things to people about their identity being in Christ, and some people will hear that and be extremely comforted by that. Others interpret the fact that you're using a simple phrase to think you're trying to communicate a simple idea. So to say that your union or that your identity is in Christ is a simple phrase that communicates a massive theological truth that takes a lifetime to understand. Right? It's, it's like at the beginning of this passage, he says, beloved, let us love one another. Simple phrase. And then he goes on for 15 verses that we could spend several months just on these 15 verses. Simple phrase does not always communicate a simple idea. Or we think we add the word just and just, just rest in your identity in Christ. Well, there's no just about it. It's work. It's effort to work out what God has already worked in you and me. It takes effort. But God has given us everything that we need to begin to work that out. Uh, we're not ever waving a wand of easy believism. John isn't here saying, oh, this is no problem. This is no problem. In fact, we'll see that he's communicating. It's actually harder. The more you try, the harder it is. 
But it is possible. It is possible. You know how I know? Because God tells us over and over and over again, and especially in 1 John. All right, John starts with the end in mind here, and you can tell because he states what he, his main idea here, here is, is the beginning of verse 7 and 8, and then states it again in 19 through 21. So like book bookends or, or two pieces of bread on a sandwich. So I'm going to read those two verses, those two sections together, and kind of skip the middle for a minute. So, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God... I'm sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then a, an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, is not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So right out of the gates, John is telling us, since the Holy Spirit lives in us, let us love one another. It's important to get the order right here. A lot of times we get to talk with people who have no relationship with the Lord, or at least from what we can tell. We don't know hearts. And yet it seems like they're just trying to do all the right things. And sometimes I've had the privilege of just saying to people something to the effect of, slow down. Stop trying so hard and surrender your heart to God. Turn from from yourself. Don't turn into yourself and try to make all of the action happen flowing from your human energy. But relax into the Lord. Sometimes the easiest thing to do, Lord, I repent, I turn from my sinful ways, and I trust you with my life, thanking you for your salvation. Is the hardest thing to do. You have conversations with a friend or or with the believer, maybe not about salvation about this point at this point, but about something in life, and you begin to talk with them and you realize, I can't talk them into it. Or maybe you're that person, and you say, Oh. I have to be convinced of my own mind and my own heart of what I understand. I think the Lord may be wanting us to do. And so um, there are times I begin a conversation with someone in my life and I'll, uh, my family sometimes, and I'll say, we'll sit down and, you know, it kind of sets the tone for the conversation. You know, we're going to have a seat or come in here and we're going to talk or whatever the case, or even just around the dinner table. And I'll just say, hey, I just want you to know how much I love you. That's not always followed by something bad. Okay. It is usually followed by something incredibly important, or at least in my eyes, if I'm going to start a conversation that way, right? I mean, sometimes we just hug it out and say, I love you, obviously. But John begins his exhortation to love by telling his children in the faith that he loves them, just by calling them beloved, right? I can, I can call my kids by their name all the time, and I do. Sometimes I just say, hey, son, come here, let's talk. 
Son communicates that relationship, not just a nickname. And so he says, let us love, as he leads them into this really strong mutual exhortation to love one another. Notice the mutuality of it and the strength of it. Let us. There's a lot more we could... That's this really strong emphasis just to... Um, that communicates a, a reciprocity, uh, a, a mutuality of what, what he is calling them to. And so remember, part of your purpose in life is to be joyful as you're made complete in Christ through love. In fact, loving in that way is part of what helps make you more complete in Christ. Love one another. Seems simple enough. Always easier to understand than it is to follow through with. Nothing simple. We're not waving any sort of a simple wand here. But he gives three reasons here in the early part of this passage. In verses 7 and 8, he talks about the nature of God. Love is God's nature. See it in verse 7 and 8. Love is from God. Whoever loves is from God, has been born of God and knows God, not knows about God. It's one of the hardest things at times to communicate to myself or others. It's not knowing about God. Around this time, everybody believes. Well, it's not just about the believing that God exists, but it's believing that God exists and that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards those who seek him, the scriptures tell us. And so John follows with a, an opposite observation, which he often does. He'll say one thing in the positive way. We do this as parents or grandparents. And then he'll say something in the negative way, right? If you're a teacher, you might say, all right, everybody stop running around in the, running around in the room. Get in your seat. Negative followed by a positive or vice versa, Right? The second reason is in verses 9 and 10, God's gift of his son, right? Love one another. Why? It's my nature. It's my character. And I'm in you. And I'm in you. And I've given you my son. Not only have I given you my son, I'm already starting to run ahead of myself. He gave us his son, which is what? It's the very best of himself, if you will. Now, any statement like that, kind of when you use the word best, you, you start, it's a comparative. And so we're not saying, Jesus is better than another part of the Trinity. I mean, you cannot divide the Trinity in that way, to be sure. But we're saying God gave us himself in the form of his visible son. You want to know about God? Get to know his son. Look at Jesus and you'll know God. He gave his very best to experience the very worst when he sent his son to die on the cross. And take it another step further. Further, He gave his very best to experience the very worst on behalf of the very worst sinners. It's easy, it's easy to love someone who loves you back. Maybe not easy still, but... It's really difficult to love someone that uh, that's not or that actively opposes or whatever the case might be. The third reason is he talks about God's active, perfecting or completing activity in us. Right. God, God abides in us and his, his love is perfected in us versus uh, 11 A and B right there. There's a there's an ongoing impact of our relationship with Christ. Right? Sometimes 
it's, it's, we see this tense that communicates what has happened has an ongoing effect in our lives. And so he wants us to love. That's really clear from the 42 instances or variations of the word love in this passage. That would include beloved. I think it's 36 just in the word love in this short little letter. He wants us to be loving with our actions, but first he wants us to know that we are loved and that those who abide in God through the gift of his Holy Spirit are able to love. That's our identity. That's our union with Christ. Have you ever taken time to reflect on who you are in Christ? I would dare tell you it's one of the most important things you can do in this life. Reflect on who you are in Christ. More importantly, do you believe what God says about you? Seriously. Do you believe what the Bible says about you? If, if we were, and we're not going to, but if I were to ask you if you believe the Bible, I think every hand in this room would go up. If I were to ask you, do you know that you're forgiven? You'd probably see something like this. You know, yeah, I believe the Bible. Do you know that you're forgiven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we wrestle with it. Like, am I really forgiven? Did God really forgive me when I trusted him in Christ? Or is this judgy guy in heaven just waiting for me to mess up so that he can stomp on me and say, ha, not good enough. We wrestle with that because we don't, we're continually learning what it means to be loved, to be forgiven. I have a book called Gospel Coach and he lists these 20 truths about who we are in Christ. We'll put them on the screen. I'm just going to breeze through them. Through Christ. And I'm going to repeat that phrase because... These things are only true because of who we are in Christ. Through Christ, I am dead to sin. Through Christ, I am spiritually alive. Through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am declared righteous. Through Christ, I am a child of God. Through Christ, I am God's possession. (laughs) I will try to catch that whenever I can. And I will not catch it all the time. Through Christ, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. Through Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven. Through Christ, I'm free from the law. Through Christ, I am crucified with him. Through Christ, I'm an heir of God. Through Christ, I am free from the desires of the flesh. Through Christ, I am declared blameless and innocent. Through Christ, I am a light in the world. Through Christ, I am victorious over Satan. Through Christ, I am cleansed from sin. Through Christ, I am set free from the power of sin. Through Christ, you are secure in him. Through Christ, you are at peace with God. Through Christ, you are loved by God. Now, I know it's really popular these days to speak positive thoughts over people. And I just want to tell you, we ought to speak life-giving words to people. Okay, so don't hear me just like be down on a fad or on something that's, well, whatever. But I do want to tell you, if we strip our friends in this world from the understanding that these things are true for those who are in Christ, 
Don't we sell them a lie? Oh, you're forgiven. I mean, do you know they're forgiven? Because not everybody in the world is forgiven. Those who turn from the self, turn from themselves and, and turn toward the Lord through repentance and faith are forgiven. But your neighbor, because they're nice, is not forgiven because they're nice. And we live in such an affirming society in some ways. But we need to be careful to be truthful in our attempts to encourage people. In other words, if we're going to love people well, it needs to be by speaking truth. It's an entirely different mission to step into your suit of your union with Christ and love someone by helping them see who they are in Christ like your Lord does, like our Lord does through Paul, Peter, and John in that list I gave you through those three biblical writers. And that's only 20 truths. Only 20 truths. I could have just had a whole sermon just reading truths like that. And we, we wouldn't run out of truths to say. We wouldn't run out of realities to say. That's a supernatural list. It reveals the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of love, all because the Father has sent his Son, his son into the world as the world's Savior, verse 14 of this chapter tells us. And therefore, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Now, he's given us these three overwhelming reasons to love one another. And then he closes in verse 12 with a section that sort of sets up the rest of the passage. Okay, so pay attention to verse 12 here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. His love has, his love, uh, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, wait a minute. It seems like a really odd place to say no one has ever seen God. Doesn't it? John makes a similar argument in the beginning of his gospel when talking about the fact that God sent his incarnate son into the world to be seen and known. It's a pivotal phrase. What he's getting at here is the father made himself known through the incarnation of his son, Jesus, right? And, and now is revealing himself by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in his people as they love one another. God is revealing himself to us, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, through his indwelling spirit as Christians love one another. People don't see Jesus visibly now, but they do see God, Christ, through the love of Christians to one another. They do. How do you know you're God's child? Well, how do you know if you have the spirit in you? How do you tell? Do we just go by how we feel day to day? Well, that's always a recipe for disaster. I don't feel God with me today. I mean, we, we'd all drive off a cliff with that kind of a thought process to lead our lives. I said that flippantly. I don't mean it flippantly. We need to know with truth, through truth, that Christ is in us, that the Spirit of God is in us. 
that, that you have the power of God inside of you, working through you, and you get to do incredible things, supernatural things. So you'd best step into the suit, if you will, of your union with Christ is what he's getting at here. And what Paul says in Philippians 2, when he talks about working out what God has worked in you. But can we just acknowledge for a minute, rather than feeling like we step into this, you know, the remarkable, they step into this suit and it just fits just right, you know, and Got the big, broad shoulders and the abs. Asked me to model for that. I had to decline. I had a busy week. Uh, can we just feel like, we don't feel like we're stepping into that snoot that just like snaps right in and looks awesome. We feel like we're walking around as Christians on, on, on Halloween or <clears throat> Reformation Day costumes. And they're like baggy you know, walking around and we're like tripping over it. And this is like this Christian life we feel like we're living sometimes. You know, we're like, ah, this this Holy Spirit suit doesn't feel like it fits in me. I don't feel like I fit in it. I'm not really sure. We feel like we're walking around with a plastic loaded gun sometimes. Pew, 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 pew. Love, 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 love. Oh, it didn't work. That didn't go well. I'm trying. That didn't. Don't you feel like that sometimes? And God is telling us that this is a process of being made perfect, right? At other times, the Lord is saying, hey, keep in step with me. Don't try so hard on your own. Relax. Keep in step with the Spirit. You won't gratify to the desires of the flesh, Paul says in Galatians. Relax. Stick with me. Step into me, or rather let me continually be stepping into you, walking through you, loving through you. And you begin to learn 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. True belief is made visible through love and sound doctrine. And this is verses 13 through 16 and then 17 through 21 here together. And I'll tell you, I said, those could each be sermons in and of themselves. But John, John set this up in one package for us with how he started it, how he ended it, and the repetition of the word love throughout and what he's communicating. So God has given us his spirit to his children and his children believe. Now I said last week, there's a challenge there because sometimes you try to make yourself believe. I will just tell you, you believe or you don't believe. Don't hear you believe perfectly and rightly all the time. That's not what I'm saying, right? But you believe or you don't believe. To try to make yourself believe is difficult dare I say impossible. You believe, well, what do you believe? You believe a true confession that Jesus is the son of God. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. James Montgomery Boyce, the pastor said, said it this way, to believe in Christ and to love the brethren are not conditions by which we may dwell in God, but rather Evidences of the fact that God has already taken possession of our lives to make this possible. And the evidences for it, friends, will be seen through a combination of love, sound doctrine, as we're made complete in Christ. Secondly, verses 17 through 21 tells us that as we're growing into our union in Christ means being perfected or made complete or mature one day. Now, sometimes Christians get the wrong idea. When I say wrong, 
What word do I want to use here? Unfortunate or sad? Idea. That a simple profession of faith and then living life as they would just kind of cruise along is okay because I'm saved. And you know, the Bible does paint a picture. I don't have time to dive into it today. That there are some who will be saved as though only by fire. Their works won't amount to anything much. They're going to get to heaven. We're all going to face a judgment of sorts. Christians are going to be judged by our words and our works. Not for salvation, but what was from the Lord. What was built on the foundation of Christ and empowered through the Holy Spirit. And it's possible that some will be in glory, but won't have much spiritual fruit to show for it. So when I say sad, I don't mean sad, pitiful, pathetic, which would be incredibly insulting. I mean sad because there's an incredible joy that God brings as we learn to live and love with people in the body of Christ. It's imperfect. In fact, it's downright messy sometimes. And I said at the beginning, I learn through a lot of mistakes or sin. We learn a lot that way. And so it's not going to go well every time. I'm not going back to the church because of how they treat people. Or I'm not. You don't come to the church for the people. You come to the church to worship God who saved your soul from the pit of hell and who saved your soul from having to deal with yourself. The more you you lean into the desires of the flesh, the more you reap the destruction of the flesh. And God says, no, come, worship me. Tune your heart to sing my praise and you will grow. Walk in the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit and you will grow and you will trip and fall flat on your face. And your brothers and sisters were going to have to come around and dust you off. Remember, they're loving to you too. Let us love one another. And so this is a process of growing into our union with Christ. Being made complete or being made perfect or mature one day, which will happen in glory. It will be realized in glory between here and then. We pray that we're making one more step, one more positive impact where we're able. Where we're able. But what he says in the end of this passage is incredible. By love is by this love is perfected in us, verse 17, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now we don't typically walk around and say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. But I will tell you, fear shows up in our culture much more than you are aware. Does any fear, any anxiety, any of these things mean somebody's not a Christian? No, it doesn't. But what he's focusing on is fear of judgment. Because the Lord tells every human, that we are under God's wrath for our sin. And that is wonderful news when somebody realizes that Jesus has come to be the sin sacrifice for them. And it brings joy. It brings relief. It brings a sense of mission. I want other people to have that. The worst thing in the world 
would be just to treat symptoms all the time. When you go to the doctor, don't you order a doctor who's going to sort of like advocate for you and fight for you to try to figure out really what's going on in your physiology? Yeah, you do. We don't want to just take medicine forever. We're talking about physical things here primarily right now. We want to get well. And that's what Jesus asked. Manny was getting ready. Do you want to be well? And sometimes I've asked people that. Well, how do I fix this? Or how do I fix this? And I just say, do you want to be well? What? Do you want me to tell you how to go tell them what to do to make you happy? Or do you want to be well? Do you want to grow? Do you want to experience what God has for you? Or do you want to keep going in circles? You don't live in fear of God's judgment. Instead, we've got confidence because perfect love, which only comes from God, casts out fear of judgment. And since you're beginning to see the Holy Spirit at work in your life through this supernatural love, fear of judgment begins to fade away. Not because you're trying harder, not because you're doing better, not because you're getting it right. But because you're seeing the Holy Spirit at work in you, you're saying, oh, I'm learning about my union with Christ. I stick with him, or rather, he sticks with me. I abide in him, and I see God working in me maturing me, helping me grow. Many people live in fear of God's judgment perpetually, and they should. Pastor Matt, isn't that kind of mean? No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not because if you don't live in any fear of judgment and you're not in Christ, it's arrogant or uninformed. We know a lot through God, about God, through creation. But we don't know everything. And God has given us the mission, which is another sermon in and of itself, but of helping people see the special revelation that fills out what people know generally through creation. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise knowledge and knowledge, wisdom, and destruction. Psalm 111.10 echoes the same principle when the psalmist says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. I don't want to read my Bible. I'm not really a reader. I don't have time. Wisdom. Fools despise wisdom. Wisdom cramps the style of a fool. Sometimes you'll be in a conversation with people and and they'll ask you to sort of affirm that they're going to go to heaven. They don't say, will you tell me I'm going to go to heaven? They say things like, uh, well, I was baptized by my parents when I was an infant or I was baptized myself when I was nine 15. 
Great. What are some ways you see the Holy Spirit at work in your life today? I mean, you want to shut down a conversation sometimes. And I'm joking about it, but it's really not a joking matter. How do you see evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Um, I mean, well, yeah, well um, I mean, I was nice, and then they go right into a list of works. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Sometimes they're accurately and truly reflecting what God has been doing in their life. But it usually, when, they're, when, it, when, it, when it's off, usually flows, flows from a sense of I. There's a difference between speaking positive thoughts over people, standing up your kid and having them stand in a mirror and tell themselves, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are this. And let me tell you, parents need to communicate love to their children in every way you can uh, imaginably think that is right and healthy. So we need to do that. More importantly, we need to say, if it's somebody that knows there's a Christian, you are loved through Jesus. You are forgiven through Jesus. You are able to do immeasurably and abundantly more than you ask or think because God, the maker of the universe and your soul is alive in you. That's very different than you are beautiful, mirror. You are loved. They need to know that they're loved by God. Through Jesus. That's where things get dicey with people. And so rather than just affirm their salvation, we want to ask helpful questions. It's not a, a quiz. We just don't want to say, oh yeah, you're going to heaven. When they may not be. And those could be the most damning words you could say. It's not your intent. You just want to encourage people. But we want to be helpful in our encouragement, which is actually to be loving. What are some of your favorite moments where you've seen the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Hey, help them out. Share some of yours. You know, there was a time when I, my life looked really bleak. Or right now, you might say my life looks really bleak. And I don't know how things are going to turn out, but here's what I know. I have peace. In other words, uh, am I nervous? Yeah. And do I feel anxious some? Yeah. Am I a little bit worried about how this is going to turn out? Yeah. Is my heart sick from how this might possibly turn out? Mm -hmm. But I know that God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear, but that in everything, because God is faithful, he will provide a way of escape so that I am able to stand up under it. That's very different kind of answer. It's a very different kind of help. Perfect love casts out fear. But what if I don't experience that? Well, let me tell you how you can. Verse 19, John closes with this reminder that 
We love because he first loved us. So remember, your purpose in life should be full of joy, beholding God's glory as you're being made complete in Christ through love. And if your confession and your lifestyle don't match up by loving one another in the body of Christ, John says we're calling God a liar. Or we're lying, excuse me. God calls us a liar. Now, this could end with a really heavy note right now, and you could start thinking of all of the times you've missed it or blown it or gotten it wrong. I can come up with a list of my own. Plenty. Plenty long. I bet you my list would rival yours. Because I know the selfishness of my own heart. I know the sin in my own heart. But John's aim here is to encourage the believers. Generally, with the film strip of life, do you see the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Fantastic. If the Lord brings something to your mind that you believe to be sinful or wrong, or something that was just a mistake, but you now realize maybe what it caused, well, then the Lord has brought that to your mind to be able to deal with. So do business with him. We get to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, which is a reminder that it doesn't depend on how well we love all the time. We're not saved because we love well. We're, we're saved because God has birthed life and belief in us and we are responding to him in faith. And so through that, we're saved. And all we're talking about today is evidences. Evidences. He starts with this incredibly strong imperative. Remember, command. Let us love one another. And then he goes into how. Why and how. But if perpetually, film strip of life here, you see that you're not loving your brother or sister repeatedly, or the body repeatedly, your decisions are primarily based on what you think you want to do for your own reasons without consideration for how it affects the body. Well, you need to ask the Lord. It doesn't mean you're unsaved. It means you need to take it to the Lord. And ask him to help you. Ask him help expose what's happening in your heart. So John wants us to know by God's spirit and through love, you can grow into your union with Christ. Hebrews 5 tells us about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience. Although he was the son of God, the incarnate one in whom we have hope and through whom we experience love and are able to love. He learned obedience. He was perfected. He was made complete through what he suffered. Brother, sister, you will be matured, maturing, made complete, perfected through what you suffer in this life. It was the path for our Savior, and it is the path for his children.
Now, we get in the weeds when we start comparing our suffering to others' suffering. All right, don't go there. We deal with what the Lord gives us. And we know that he'll supply what we need to learn to live in a way that brings glory to him through it all. Verse 9, in being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I pray that brings great comfort to your heart this morning. If you're convicted about your relationship with the Lord today, take heart. You don't need to live in fear of judgment. But you can strip off your old suit of self and through faith step into the new suit of the Holy Spirit, which actually just is right absorbed into who you are. My analogy is starting to fall a little short here. They always do. But working through you and you empowered by him can accomplish the wonderful things that he has set out for you. Not necessarily the wonderful things that God has set out for them or him or her, but for you. And that is all wonderful. So come, eat and drink and be reminded that Jesus was perfected through suffering and so will you be. And rather than trying harder to obey, Rather than trying harder to love someone that you hate, if we're honest, abide in him. And the fruit of that will be that you will see him loving others through you.